Okay. So, there is a light. Like I said, we're reading out of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 14 through 16 here. And it says, You are the light of the world. A city, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this is a real familiar passage of Scripture, I would say, to most of us. We've heard, you know, you are the light of the world multiple times as we're growing up. Uh, there's even a little song about it, right? How many know the song? If you've been in preschool ministry or kids' church ministry anytime, you definitely know it because it goes, this little light of mine. That's right. I'm going to let it shine. So that is really the basis of what we're talking about here is this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Uh, it reminded me, I was in preschool and we were in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And the teachers decided we were going to sing this song. And so obviously my dad was children's pastor at that time and he was doing kids church, the elementary kids church. And so I was in the preschool class so they started singing this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And I guess I wasn't singing the song. And of course, the teacher came to up, up to me and said, Clinton, you know, I know you know this song. Why are you singing it? And I said, it's not this little light of mine. She's like, it is this little light of mine. And I said, no, it's Bud Light. And I believe the next day, my mom canceled any TV subscription that we had at home because, believe me, whenever they got done with Children's Church, they got to hear about Bud Light. So this morning we're not talking about that, but we are talking about um, light. So uh, I'm going to try to ask and answer three questions this morning um, to, that have to do with light. So the first question that we have is, why does the world need light? So that's our first point and our first question. Why does the world need light? How many know that without light, that we are blinded? I've done some research on actual you know, light, like comes from the sunlight, um, and it actually gives our eyes energy. The, the radiation and the, and the light that comes from the sun actually gives our eyes energy to see. Um, and without, without light, we really would be blinded. Because everything we see is, is just a reflection of light given. So when I'm looking at you guys this morning, I see you, but it's not you. You're not glowing. I see this light that's in this room reflecting off of you, and I can, I can see you because of it. So that got me thinking to how the eye really captures light. You know, how, how are we really seeing? And so I, I started looking into that, and I found this little article. It's a little lengthy, but I'm going to read it to you guys anyway, because um, I liked it. So it says this. It says, how does your eyes work? It's far more than just forming tiny pictures in your eye. There's also color and motion. It takes many cells, and finally the brain, to make sense of it all. As light enters your eyes, it first heads through the tough outer tissue called the cornea. This protects the delicate inner eye from everything the world might throw at it. 
light passes right through the cornea into a transparent, flexible tissue called the lens. The lens focuses the light, sending it through a liquid-filled globe of the eyeball to the back interior wall of the eye. The tissue there, as known as retina, contains millions of light-sensitive cells. They are specially concentrated in the area called the fovea. This densely packed set of cells gives us, a, gives us the clearest picture of our world. When the eye focuses on an object, it directs the light bouncing it directs the light bouncing off the object directly onto the fovea to get the best image. In fact, when the eye focuses on something, that's called foveating. The light-sensing cells on the retina are known as photoreceptors, two important types of rods and cones. Each human retina, and you have two, one in each eye, contains 125 million rods and about 6 million cones. This is 70% of all the sensory receptors in your entire body for touch, taste, smell, hearing, and sight. All of them put together, it's 70% of those. So how important is our vision to us? It's pretty important, right? Being able to see is a pretty important thing. Um, without, without light, we'd actually all be blind. Even though we'd have eyes, and they might even work for a while, I think eventually they might not work. But if there was no light, no internal light, no light from the sun, no light from anywhere, we'd all be blinded. Um, so it reminded me of a story. Um, and if you guys know me, those who've been around me, I am not a night owl. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that's like, it's 8.30, I'm ready for bed. You know, is anybody else besides me that way? Because... I mean, even whenever I was a young person, I can remember 16, 17, 15, those ages, you know, when kids like to get out and do stuff. My friends would call my parents and be like, it's 9 o'clock. Can Clinton come over and watch a movie? And my mom would be like, he's in bed. He's been in bed for 30 minutes, you know. I'm just not a night owl. But a few years back, uh, Corey Watson, this was um, back when we were just friends. Um, Corey Watson and I and a few of us other people started watching trilogies. And we'd do this crazy thing where we'd get off work or, you know, get to his house, six o'clock, and we'd begin to watch these trilogies. You know, all, there's several trilogies that are good. And, and we'd watch all of them in a row. And so it'd be like six, seven, eight hours, you know. I think once we did The Lord of the Rings and it was like, Lord, just let us not do it, that ever again because it's just too much. Anyway, but it was one of these nights and... Uh, I'd gone to Corey's house to watch one of these trilogy marathons. And probably, to be honest, I was there because his sister was there. But I won't tell him that. Uh, hey, I married her. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. So I'd been at there. It was late. I was super tired. And back then, I had an 82 Jeep CJ5. And so I jumped in my Jeep, and I was heading home, and I was coming up over the mountain, and right at the peak, another car coming, started coming the other way. And so, as all vehicles should be, how God intended it, the dimmer switch was on the floor, you know, where it was easy to get to. So, but what had happened was about two weeks before, I had had the inside of my Jeep rhino-lined. And I had taken that, that switch off the floor, you know, so they could do it. 
whenever I got it back, well, I plugged it in, but I never mounted it back to the floor of the Jeep. And it kind of hung there in place. You know, it wasn't really going anywhere. So I'd been driving for weeks like that. Well, I was coming up over this mountain. I see this car passing me, and I, I had my brights on. So I reached down and stomped that button. And as soon as I did, I unplugged that button from the wiring harness, which turned my lights out. And so I was meeting a car, so I had the oncoming light hitting me in the eyes. And whenever they passed, and I was still going 45 miles an hour, let me tell you, it was dark. It was really dark. And I, I remember slamming on the brakes, and I saw a house on the hill, kind of, and I just kind of aimed towards it. I'm like, surely there's a driveway there somewhere. And by the grace of God, I made it to their driveway. But guys, light is an important thing uh, as it, it comes to us on a daily life, our, in our daily life. Without it, we can be in real trouble. So this morning, I know we talked about light, but it's not the kind of light I really want to talk about this morning. How many know that there is a light that has nothing to do with our sun or our stars or the LED bulbs that are in this room? There's a light that's even better and brighter than that. Amen? Amen. So we're going to turn to John chapter 8, and we're going to read in verse number 12. I'll give you a second just to get there. It says, John 8, chapter, or John chapter 8, verse 12, says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus here makes a pretty bold claim while he's on the earth. He says, listen, I, I'm the light. I'm the light of the world. If you'll abide in me, if you'll walk in me, you will not walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life in your life. Um, so this is a remedy to a problem, one, him being light. Because how many know all of us in this room at one time were walking in darkness? That's just the fact of the matter. We are walking in darkness. So we know that Jesus is the remedy for darkness, and it says that we will have the light of life. So it's also a promise that he's saying, if you'll, if you'll walk with me, you will have the promise of Jesus being the light of your life. Um, so has anybody in here ever been in true, we're going back from spiritual here, I'm jumping back forth, but in true darkness where there was no physical light around? I mean, Sometimes there's dark nights, and you're like, whew, it's dark out here. But there's a dark that's darker than that. Um, growing up in Carlsbad, New Mexico, one thing we had there was the Carlsbad Caverns. Um, got to go there several times, but I can remember as a small child going once for this tour that was not um, the normal, what you'd go see. And they would turn out all the lights that are in the caverns. And you'd get to go with a guide, and he would have one flashlight. And literally, that's all you got to do, or all the light that was in there was your guide with his flashlight. And so as you wind down from the entrance of the caves and get down way down deep, he'd get you to a spot, and he'd turn out the flashlight. And let me tell you, it's dark. It's dark like I'd never seen dark before. Like, where's my hand? I don't know. I mean, you could slap somebody, and they would never know because you can't see. So there is a darkness that is truly dark in that is a place where a lot of our world is today. 
is they're in a place of darkness. So we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And there is uh, several verses we're going to read right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So just keep your, keep your fingers there. Uh, keep a mark there because we're going to come, come back to it several times. It says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is who is the image of God. So, in this verse, this is, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians church. Um, and Paul had just spent um, roughly 18 months, and not roughly, it is 18 months because the Word tells us so, 18 months in, in Corinth, starting, building, helping this church. So he's, at this time, most people believe he had gone on to Ephesus, and he's writing back to his, the church in Corinth um, about things. So he says the, the key there is the God of this world. And if you look at God in your Bible, there's something different about it than most of the time when we see God in the Bible. What is it? It's not capitalized. That's right. Because it's not the God of gods. It's not the king of kings. This is the God of this world. So it says that he, ha- that he had blinded them to the light of Jesus Christ. So when you look at Corinth, this place was kind of a crazy place in the Bible. It was like the Mecca for the area. It was a, a port town, so there are a lot of ships coming in, going out. Um, it was the capital of that providence of, of the Roman Empire. Um, but it was also a really, really nasty place. I mean, there was some crazy stuff going on. Uh, the temple um, of, I'll think of it in a second, let's see, uh, Aphrodite, yeah. The t- temple of Aphrodite was there. And if you've heard or read or seen anything about that, it was weird. I mean, there was some crazy, sinful stuff going on. They had thousands of priestesses that would do crazy things. It was the kind of town that people might have said, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, you know, because it was just that crazy. And, and we can see even in Acts 18 that Paul himself was afraid to preach there because it was such a crazy place. It said in, in 18 that the Lord had to come to Paul and tell him, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid and continue, continue on in your preaching. And I'm with you. I won't let anybody touch you. Just continue on in your preaching. So we know that Corinth was a crazy place. So the God of this world was using sin to blind the minds of the people of Corinth. How many know that the God of this world is still up to his same game plan? He's still up to it. He hasn't changed and be like, huh, that's not working. Let me try something else. No, he knows it works. And that's what he uses so often to blind the minds of people. When you look in our world today and the craziness of the world around us, we can say, man, I, I can see the God of this world using sin to blind people's eyes to the light that is Jesus Christ. The media that, that we watch today, I mean, I can't remember who it was. We were talking about it uh, last couple of weeks. I was talking with somebody how it seemed like in, in the 80s, you know, 
but like I remember them, right? But in the 80s, uh, they started using the church as a joke, you know? They, they would make it the, the funny point or making a pastor just look like a crazy person or whatever it is. But as it's kind of snowballed down, our world has come to a place where they, they hate the church. They hate what it stands for. And, and they say, if you believe what this word says, then, then you're a bigot or you are, you know, a sexist or you don't believe, you know, what the world says is right because they've said they've changed the truth of the word in for lie. Amen. That's what, that is what our world has come to. So God of this world still doing the same things that he was back in, in the day of Corinth. Um, how many know that if you are going to shine a light on something, you illuminate it, correct? If I had a flashlight here and it was dark and I wanted to, you know, shine the light on Miss Jessie, I would be illuminating her right here. So I, I started looking at illuminate and illumination, and it made me think of the antonyms of what illuminate is. And that, the dictionary's antonyms is dull, to extinguish, to put out, to cloud, to complicate, or to obscure. And whenever we think about the truth of Jesus Christ, the light of Jesus Christ in our world today, so many of those words fall right into line. Sometimes I think that word dull is scarier than put out because there's so many places that have dulled the truth of Jesus Christ, not preaching the full gospel so that you can feel good about yourself, still be a part of this cool group, you know, that's the church, but they're not living as children of the light. So to dull, extinguish, put out, to cloud, to complicate, to obscure. This is what the enemy's plan is for our world, for everybody, including us in the church. He would love to do these things to anybody inside of the church. So if you guys would agree with me, would you say that our world is in desperate need of the light of Jesus Christ? Amen. I would too. So going on with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to go verses um, 5 and 6. It says this, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servant, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, this verse changes the perspective on light just a little bit because it's not just light coming from the Father, but it's light being shown through us. So the second question that I wanted to answer or ask and hopefully um, answer this morning is, why would God use me? No, sorry. That's the third one. I missed my place. Okay, why would God choose me? That was the second one. I found it. Okay, why would God choose me? There's probably some guys in the audience today that would probably think the same thing about your wife. Say, man, like, why 
in the world did she choose me? And let me tell you, it's grace. That's why, because we don't deserve them. Amen? We don't deserve them. But God has given us uh, grace in letting us have wonderful wives. Um, but that is the question that, that we ask so often is, why would God choose me? Um, but we're going to go on again with 2 Corinthians 4, 7-9. through 9. It says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So, why would God use me? Why would God choose me? There's a lot of people that would say, there's no way God could use me for doing anything good. You know, I'm a mess. I have problems. I have, I have areas in my life that I just haven't got straight yet, you know. And, and we'll, we'll use that as an excuse to not let God's light shine through us. I can't do that, Lord. You know what I deal with. Yeah, He does. But that, He still wants to use you. So it says here that we are broken vessels or jars of clay. How many of you have ever messed with a clay pot? My wife loves to plant stuff. She's very good at keeping plants alive. But let me tell you, Abel is really good at breaking pots. I mean, he, he can break pots really well. And it's because they're so fragile. It seems like you can just pick one up and they'll crack or they're blessed or they'll do something. So this is what Paul, what the Lord is comparing us to is jars of clay that, that we are, are fragile and we are weak and that we have scars, and that we have problems, and there's things in life that just don't go our way. But the fact of the matter is God has still chosen us to be light form. says this in Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. This is Paul, just a few chapters later than our text that we're reading today. It says, uh, this is 12, 7 through 10. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of all the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this is a concept that I believe our world just doesn't get, to boast in weakness. I mean, if you look at the business world, the secular world, we're supposed to portray power, strength, you know, that's, that's who we are. I don't have problems. My bank account's not a mess. It's great. I've got tons of money. Look at my Lexus, you know. Sorry, Cody. That was, no. No, we, we say that. We, we, we try to make ourselves look good, but this is not what Paul is saying here in Corinthians, he says, listen, I will boast in the weaknesses I have because in my weakness, 
he's made strong. Um, I think the church has adapted this worldly view of strength. And we come into church, we come into Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whenever we're just fellowshipping with believers, and we like them to all look at us and say, man, we got it going on. I am Mr. Spirituality. You know, I don't have any problems. I never have any mess-ups. I never make mistakes. I am good. That is what we try to portray to each other, is that, hey, we got it going on in the Lord. But sometimes whenever we keep those things in darkness, it's what keeps power over us. Whenever we keep our struggles in darkness, it's what makes them so scary. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes my wife, my kids, they'll call me and they'll be like, Dad, there's something here, or honey, there's something over here. You know, and it's dark and you like, I'm the man, I can handle it, you know. Fear not, Dad is here, you know. And you walk over there and it's dark and you're like, what? And then it moves and then you scream like a little girl and run, you know. And then about that time, your wife turns a flashlight on and it's like a paper bag laying in the floor and you look really, really dumb. It's because whenever things are in the dark, they seem scarier. When things are in the dark, they seem like they're bigger than they truly are. I mean, that's something that kids have a problem with. We've all had a problem with since we were little. It's being afraid of the dark. And in the same way as Christians, whenever we keep our struggles and our weaknesses and the things that... that hurt us and bind us. And when we keep them in the dark, it's where they keep power because they seem bigger than they really are. But this is what I know. And I heard this quote um, that when we take things and set them in the light of the sun, and this is S-O-N, not U-S-N, or S-U-N, um, it makes them a whole lot less scary. So when we can take our problems, when we take our hurts, and we can set them in the light of Jesus Christ. It makes them a little less scary. It actually makes them a lot less scary. And there's another thing it does is it sets us free from them. So um, there's a verse, I believe in Romans, that says there is now no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. Um, this is something we studied a month or so ago in our small group. And there she was talking about... Um, the 2% and how we as Christians so often will leave 2% of ourselves hiding in the closet, you know, and we feel condemnation from that 2%. But if we will just bring them out, call them what they are and say, Lord, I surrender them to you. Let your son shine his light on them. It, it, it changes us and it takes the power away from those things. So back to what, um, we had said we're jars of clay, we're fragile, we have cracks, we have blemishes, we have chips in these jars. But sometimes I think that maybe it is through those cracks, it's through those chips, it's through those scars that the world can see the light of Jesus Christ living inside of us. Whenever they see us and, and, and we're honest with them and we say, no, I don't have it all together. No, my life's not perfect. Yeah, I have struggles. But let me tell you something. I might be struggling with this. You know, I might be struggling with depression, but I know that Jesus is the light of my life. I know that he is there for me. His word says he'll never leave me 
or forsake me. So I know I'm not alone. When we can be honest with people about the situations that we truly are in, that is whenever they can see the light of Jesus shining through us. It's important. It's, it's when the world sees us as light. Um, so that leads me to the third thing um, and the third question that we are going to ask this morning. First one, why is light important? Second one, why would God use me? And the third thing that this morning I want to talk about is how will God use me? How will God use me? So there's a million different ways we know that the Lord can use somebody. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We have different strengths, different callings. There's a million ways. But I believe there's one way that is very universal of how God wants to use us. And I want to talk to you guys about it this morning. So we had talked about jars of clay and how fragile we are. And I heard this quote, it was this last week, and it says this. It said, if God has chosen to wrap his divinity in such fragility, then kindness is paramount in the story he is telling through us. So if God has chosen to take his almighty power and the glory of who he is and wrap it with this fragile package called human, who we are, then it is kindness that is paramount. It's kindness that is important in letting people see the light of Jesus that shines in us. Um, We know that kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Kindness is in there. So, but a lot of times, you know, love kind of takes top dog. Why? It's obvious. God is, he is love, right? So love is kind of top dog there. But they say that kindness is kind of what love smells like. In other words, you can't be kind to somebody without loving on them. You know, it kind of goes together. So kindness is what love smells like. Um, This is the way that God has chosen to show people his light. It's by us having a relationship with people around us. Relationship evangelism is proved to be one of the most, if not the most powerful form of evangelism there is in the world today. I mean, I think there is definitely a place for just going out and preaching the word. And God calls you to do it. God tells you to go to a stranger, share the gospel with him. By all means, amen, do it. But if we would all grasp relational evangelism, where the people that we bump elbows with every day, maybe not anymore, we stay six feet away, but the people that we're around, our families, our work partners, our friends, the people in our community, if we would show the light of Jesus Christ through us in those ways, that's where evangelism really can take place because they're saying, man, I know what he went through last month. You know, I know what his kid did and they're trying to deal with it. You know, but but why is he not acting like I'm acting? It's because he has something different. Hmm, I maybe want that. You know, that's how people look. That's how people see us, should see us maybe. That's how they should see us. Um, so would anybody agree with me? And I think the world today always says it. We hear people say, man, we need revival. You know, we need people to come to repentance in the Lord. 
That's what we need. But you guys agree with me this morning that our nation needs to repent and we need a revival. Amen? I would think so too. I mean, that's what I hope for this church. I'd love to see people just repenting and, and getting you know, saved and plugged into the church. That's, that's what it is. But how many know that it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance? That's what it says in Romans chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and the tolerance and patience? Do you not knowing that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. The world needs our kindness. It's how we let our light shine. I mean, just go on Facebook for 10 minutes and read some of the posts of the world around us, and you'll know kindness has gone out the window. I mean, we, we take a stance on everything these days, and a lot of the times it has nothing to do with this word. You know, we say, oh, man, that that offends me. If you were here a couple Wednesdays ago, you know what I'm talking about. It offends me. I'm going to post something back. You know, take that. And that's how our world does these days. We feel justified. If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back a little more. If you cut me down, I can cut you lower. That's how our world operates. But that's not how God has called his church to operate. His He's called his church to be a church of kindness. I think, I, I'm not sure where it is, but in the Bible it says that whenever you're kind to your enemies, it's like heaping burning coals on their head. You know, it's because the world doesn't understand kindness. They don't understand generosity. They don't understand these things. But this is how God wants to shine his light through us. So, I think that it's possible, like I said, we're talking about relationship evangelism. I think it's possible in some cases that you might be the only light of Jesus that somebody will ever see. You know, I know Paul had a Damascus Road experience. God came down, shone his light on Paul. But I think a lot, maybe the majority of the time, only light that people see of God is that that's shining through us. When you look at the story of Esther, you know, God raised her up for a, spe a specific time that, that she could save her nation. And so God has a plan. God has a will for our lives. And he puts us in situations. He puts us in relationships. He puts us in business junctures that that puts us in the right place at the right time so that we can show God's light to somebody, that we can be a witness through our lives to somebody. So it, it, it comes to a point where we have to realize, Lord, every day it's important. Every day, Lord, let me shine Jesus' light through my life. Lord, that the world around me may see it. And, and, and glorify my Father that's in heaven. Jared, if you want to come um, and help me close this. A couple weeks ago, um, I got to eat uh, a meal with a family in this church, and 
Sam and Christina, and we were just talking, you know, just fellowshipping. And Sam was, I asked him what one of his favorite hobbies was, what he liked to do, and he told me he liked to read. And if you know me, it's not my hobby. But he, he said something. He said he was really intrigued by a man that lived across the street from him when he was a kid. He said this guy was just, like, so smart. He just had it together, and it seemed like whatever topic you wanted to talk about, um, he knew it. You know, he had... He knew the content of your conversation. He could dialogue with you, and, and he was just so smart. And so he said, you asked him one day um, why, how he knew so much, and he told him, he said, I read a lot. You know, I read a lot of books. And then he went on to tell him, he said, you know, there's no possible way that a human could read everything that's been written. I mean, you look at libraries, there is so much literature out there of, of everything. He said, there's no way that you could read everything that has been put on paper. He said, so this is what I, I would encourage you. Choose to read the best ones. Choose to read the best ones. And Sam had said that, you know, he had, he had started out with the classics because this guy said, you know, these are books that are are." are named classics for a reason. But he said as he's gotten older, he's, he's changed what he reads, and now he wants to read things that affect the kingdom, you know. And it so, so ministered to me because I think about, made me think about, you know, we as humans only get a certain number of days on this earth. You know, there's only a certain number of people that you are going to contact in your life. There's only a certain number of relationships you're going to build in your lives. But why can't we be the best ones? You know, why can't we make everything that we do count for the sake of Jesus Christ? There's so much of our lives that we chalk up to foolishness, you know? And don't get me wrong, I don't think there's anything with have, wrong with having hobbies. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing things that you just enjoy. But while doing them, why not make it about Jesus still? That whether we are working, whether we're playing, whether we're at church, whether we're eating at our favorite restaurant, that it is about Jesus Christ. And no matter what we do, that we can let Jesus's light begin to shine through us in the dark world that we live in. Um, a few months, six, seven, eight months ago, something like that, when our church was going through this Acts 2 study, guy that led it, his name Ron McManus, um, used to be pastor, J.D.'s pastor in Winston-Salem. J.D. worked for him as children's pastor. Um, this guy, as far as what the church would say is successful in a good way, not in a bad way, in a very, he's done it for the Lord. I mean, he's pastored large churches. Right now he goes to struggling churches and helps them rebuild to re-get their base again and, and get back to where they know they need to be. I mean, this guy is out there, and I don't know how old he is, but I'd say he's late 60s, 70s, and he's still out there just full-time doing it for the Lord. You know, it's the kind of guy that, as Christians, we look up, look up to and say, man, I hope one day, you know, I could, I could do for the Lord what he's doing, you know, that I could look back and have accomplishments like he's accomplished. But he said this, and honestly, this is a statement probably 
was the catalyst for me submitting to God and saying, all right, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you in ministry. But I mean, it just, it struck me so deep in the heart. He said his biggest fear, his biggest fear is that after he dies, when he goes up to heaven and he stands in front of the Lord to give account, he said his biggest fear is that God's going to look at him and say, Ron, I could have done so much more with you if you just would have let me. If you just would have let me. If you just would have been open to letting me use you in these other areas, I could have done so much more. And I'm sitting there going, what are you talking about, man? Look what you're doing, you know? Look what you're doing. Look what you've done. How many people are in the kingdom because of what you have let God do through you? How can you say this statement? But how true is it? You know, if we apply it to our lives and say, you know, Lord, I don't ever want to come to that place where you say you could have done more through me. Lord, I want to give myself totally to you. Open myself up to you and say, Father, do what you want in here, Lord. Do what you want with me. Lord, whether it's ministering to the people I play games with on Friday nights or it's going to Africa and ministering to people there, I don't care anymore because it's not I who live, it's Christ that lives in me. Can we truly come to that place? And that's, that's my goal in life. I want to come to the place where I say, God, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter where you call me, no matter what, Lord, you want me to do, Lord, I am open. I'm here. I'll do it. I'll be light, Lord. Let me be light to the world around me. Let your light reflect off of me, Lord, and shine in the dark places. If you guys would humor me just, just for a minute. Jared, I've asked to sing a song. It's a song that's been around longer than I thought it had, but it's probably early 90s. But I can remember going to a concert and hearing this song. And I thought it was just super appropriate for this morning. So Cody's going to pull the lights down. And Jared's going to sing the song. And then um, I'll come back and we'll close this thing. There is a light that shines in the darkness. There is a light that shines in the darkness. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. The light of the world. Is a light that shines in the darkness, and there is a light that shines. 
simple, isn't it? It's not difficult. It's Jesus. That's the answer. To everything the world has, to all the problems, to all the sin, the answer is Jesus. It's that easy. But my question this morning is, are we going to be willing to let Christ shine his light through us? Are we going to be willing to let him use us in any way that he wants to? I'm going to read this, this passage that, that we started the sermon with this morning in Matthew. It says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp, or nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But put it on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Father, Lord, that's what we want this morning. Lord, that's what we desire. Lord, let, let people see the light that's inside of us. Lord, that that they will see the good things that are happening, Father, and they will give you the glory. Because we know, Lord, it's not us. It's not us, God. Lord, we're just jars of clay. We're fragile. Lord, we're weak. But Lord, as Paul said, Lord, Lord, I can boast in my weakness, Lord, because I know through me, through my weakness, Lord, you are made strong. So that's our prayer this morning. Lord, is that you would become strong through our weaknesses, Father and that through our lives, we bring light to the world around us and glory to you, Father. This morning, if, if you're willing, and you might think this is crazy, but if you'd humor me, how many know that we all have a light on our cell phones? <laughs> if you're like me, I use my light on my cell phone almost every day for something. So, if you guys this morning would get your cell phones out, something that doesn't get said in church very often, right? But if you're willing to agree with me that God is calling us to be the light of the world, to let his light shine through us, through our cracks, through our chips and scars, and that, that we want to be the light of the world so they can see it and give glory to God in heaven. Would you guys just turn your flashlights on, on your phones? I've got mine right here. So you can point them up here, you can point them wherever you want. But just set your flashlight up and say, by doing that, say, Lord, I, I agree, Father, that I'm going to be a light. That this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to be light in the dark places of this world. And I just want to sing this song one more time 
with Jared. And I, I encourage you guys, you can stand, you can sit, whatever you want to do. Can we just sing this song together that proclaims the truth and what the world needs is Jesus' light? Can we do that together this morning? Go ahead, Jared. There is a light. There is a light that shines in the darkness. There is a light. There is a light that shines in the darkness. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Oh, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Yes, he is the light. The light of the world. One more time. As we sing, there is a light. And there is a light that shines in the darkness. There is a light. And there is a light that shines in the darkness. His name is Jesus. We're going to sing. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. The light of the world. Amen. Father, this morning, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have shown your marvelous light on us, Father, that you have called us out of the darkness, Lord, to your marvelous light. Lord, I pray that I, Lord, and this church, Lord, would begin to be your light in the dark places, Father. Lord, that the people we bump into through our week, the people we work with, whatever people we come in contact with, Father, Lord, that they would see the light that you've put inside of us, Father. Lord, I pray boldness on this group to not be afraid to shine your light, Father. Lord, I pray that you would give us just a passion for the lost, Lord, passion for this community. Lord, and I believe that we are going to see the darkness rolled back, Father, with the light of Jesus Christ in Macon County, Father. Lord, just let it be on our hearts as we go through this week. Lord, and that we'd always be conscious of opportunities, Lord, that you give us to be light, Father. Lord, from the very beginning, you said, let there be light, Father. And I believe you believe it just as much today as you did back then. So put that burden on our hearts, Lord. Lord, I just thank you for this group of people. I thank you for everybody watching online, Lord. I pray a special blessing on them this week, Lord. Protection over them, Lord. We lift up pastor to you again, Lord, and pray health on his body. Lord, we just thank you for being such a good God. Lord, for such, being such a good father and your love for us, Father. Go with us as we leave this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys be blessed.